1: To another episode of Out of the Blank Podcast. Mir Zoltan Zoltan, for everyone out there listening who might not know who you are, please introduce yourself. Uh
0: my name is Zoltan Ishwan and thank you for having me on the show. Um, I'm a transhumanist, somebody who wants to use science and technology to radically enhance the human being and the human experience. Um, I'm uh an author that's done uh, eight books including the Zoltan Isfahan Futures Collection, as well as the Transhumanist Wager, which a lot of people know. I'm currently a philosophy graduate student at the University of Oxford, and I'm also a former journalist with National Geographic. And a lot of people know me for running for the U.S. presidency. I was their uh, 2016 uh, presidential nominee for the Transhumanist
1: Party. So for the Transhumanist part, tell me exactly how we can make our lives better with transhumanism.
0: Well, largely speaking, technology has made Um, our lives better. I think, uh, if you look at history, you know, it's always that people innovate, and then lives get longer, health gets better, families have more children or are prosperous. So, you know, it's really one of those kind of things with, uh, you know, if you just take a historical perspective, You can see that technology and science have improved the human being. Now, the question is really, how far do we go with that? Because transhumanism wants to go really far, maybe even leave all of biology behind. And so in the end of the day, it's really about that idea that transhumanism and using science and technology to modify the human body is going to improve us. The real question is... How far do we want to take that? Because some of us want to become kind of like, you know, floating orbs, spanning whose intelligence spans across the universe. Others just want to be cyborgs, maybe have our iPhone in our brain, that kind of thing. But, you know, generally speaking, I think it enhances and improves the lives of everybody.
1: Well, how far do you think we should go with it? Like I would stop for me would be like my brain and my crotch just because I would like those to still be biological in a sense. But I mean, I could see maybe manipulating cells in a sense as well, too. I mean, if you can make cells last longer and overall exceed, I guess, normal human life expectations, I mean, from compared to the 1800s, 1600s, 1500s, compared to where we are now, humans are living a lot longer. I mean, to say that 100 years is long, well, maybe a thousand years from now, they'll be saying 900 years is long.
0: Well, I totally agree with you. I think we're going to look back and be like, wow, how sad was it that we only lived to 80 or 90 years or even 100 when people are now living thousands of years? And, you know, I think ultimately, um, you know, how far do I want to take transhumanism? Well, I I kind of want to take it all the way. Um, Does that mean I want to be God? Not necessarily. I want to be God over other people. But would I like all power over things that can do harm to me? Would I like all power over pain and suffering and tragedy? And and death? uh, Yes, I definitely would like that. Uh, And I'd also like others to have that. And I think that's really where we're trying to go is to create a world that has no suffering in it. And we do that through technology. And it's not just overcoming suffering. It's also how interesting the universe can become, because we, you know, have our brains connected to an AI machine. And all of a sudden, our capacity for thinking is a million times more powerful, faster, more capable. I mean, our consciousness is something that's, you know, it almost like how we would compare our consciousness now to that of an ant. That's might be where we're in a thousand years. And I want to experience that. That sounds very, very interesting.
1: Do you think it would pe- put people on an even playing field? Because I would say when we say the word consciousness, what do you think consciousness is? Because I've talked to researchers who are spending their lives trying to figure out what that word is. And I don't think even we truly understand how far our consciousness really goes. You know, they're saying it links to your eyes, like something with, you know, if you notice someone's eyes are up, you notice that they're conscious. But if they're closed, you notice they're not conscious. So I'm just curious to where your thoughts are on well,
0: that. Well, I, I, you know, I, I'm... I'm not an expert on conscious, but I I think, uh, uh, you know, and and I think when you talk about where our brain is, nobody really knows how that works. And that's been kind of one of the big problems with transhumanism is that we can't achieve immortality until we can keep our consciousness kind of on a continual plane and, and, you know, going indefinitely without, you know, terminating. And so I think that's really one of the big problems. And, uh, you know, if people are gonna say like, so where should we spend a ton of money? I'd say, let's spend it on the brain so we understand how the brain works and how we can keep our consciousness going indefinitely. I mean, these are, these are some of the most pressing questions I think of modern science. So I don't have a good answer. It might even be something like quantum intelligence, consciousness is the Gaia theory we're all around, we're all interconnected. I mean, maybe it's something like that. Or, you know, even there's a giant alien species of billions of years, light years away, and we're somehow connected to them. We just don't know how to utilize that. And what is the consciousness of an artificial intelligence? You know, I mean, these are, uh, there are some that are starting to think, or at least they think they think, you know, and where do we draw that line with consciousness? And Unfortunately, it's a field that's like, not necessarily emerging, but it it needs a lot of more research to for us to have a a real discussion on how we can improve it, or what it even is.
1: With the Gaia hypothesis, I had Peter Ward on the show who created the Medea hypothesis, which is that kind of like the species is intent to wanting to really destroy itself. And you can kind of see that with like the environmental impacts to it. How do you know if that wouldn't translate over to something like being transhumanism? Like we're talking about life extension. That's they're, they're practicing that. Now they're working on that. Now, how to make your cells last longer, how to anti-age. It's been a concept throughout all of time and all of history has been people wanting to be immortal or find a way to live forever. How do we do that properly without, that kind of, I wouldn't say it's a moral decision. Maybe it's, you could even say it's a brainwashed ingrained choice into us, which is the fact that people feel like death is the only, I guess, uh, affirmed thing to you. It's the only positive, not really, I wouldn't say positive, but it's the only thing that's definitive in life is death. And that kind of mindset, I listen to that and I go, yeah, but is that just something that we just have been told to be okay with the fact that one day we're going to die? Imagine if we never die and how would that even happen how would we exceed past the ability of maybe our biological factors but our brain we have to understand consciousness but even past that how much till we are not us anymore yeah i mean there there are so many vague
0: understandings here and and just links to what makes sense what doesn't make sense whether we believe it's ourselves whether we're not in fact you know they say uh, your, your cells, and I'm not 100% sure of the science of this, at least every six to 18 months can complete, most of them can replicate themselves. So you're not even really your same self as, uh, you know, and, and the same thing when you wake up, you know, with the flu, you definitely feel quite different. And when you, you know, you wake up the next morning, it's like, how do you know you're not in the matrix? I, I did my senior thesis when I was at doing my undergrad at Columbia university at in, uh, in, are we brains in a vat? And the truth is no philosopher on planet earth has really come with a good explanation yet to prove that we're not in some, mind stimulation stimula- or some brains in a vat being manipulated, it's very hard to know who we are and what we're all about and whether we're going to keep going. I mean, we understand a lot of the basics of the biology, but to keep our consciousness kind of going and our s- sense of identity has been something that's you know been elusive for you know a- until now and probably will be for another 20, 30, maybe even 100 years, which is very problematic to transhumanists.
1: Well, how would you envision immortality? Would you do it like a transcendence version. Well, that sounds great. And I just watched them the other night too. Uh, uh, but I, I think just I think the
0: first thing to understand is that, like everything in life, it's a compromise. We all want like when we talk about immortality. Yes, I want myself, the person talking to you now, to be immortal. But I would also take seventy percent of my thoughts, or seventy percent of who I am, or maybe even forty percent. I mean, I'd probably take two percent if that's all I could get. But the point I'm trying to say is that. A lot of people just want to transfer their exact identity. That may not be possible for hundreds and hundreds of years. What might be possible, though, is to transfer a lot of yourself either into the cloud or through, uh, you know, recreation, 3D bioprinting or um, stem cell implants of those cells having very similar, uh, you know, memories and DNA and this kind of identical DNA, whatnot. I mean, and I think if if you could give me a choice saying. Would you want a self that's 50% Zolt and at least believes it's 50% Zolt too? Is that good enough? And I'd say, yes, that's good enough. So I think when you talk to me, at least about trying to live indefinitely, I would go for a, I understand that the science isn't going to be there for maybe 50 or hundred years perfectly, but certainly some of it will be. And that's very important. And then you have to ask, yourself, well, you know, okay, well, I'm a writer and my books are, you know, my children read my books and other people read my books. There's a part of my sense self that goes through that. That's not the immortality that transhumanists are trying to find, but I give that some credit. But what I really am looking for is more my identity, my ego, my thoughts, my brain, memories in themselves being virtually similar and going, even if I can't have it 100%, I'd still say that's a good shot at a form of immortality or something like it
1: would you feel comfortable with like maybe taking a census or something like that online where it's able to really distinctive or be able to categorize your personality and make it exclusive to you like a very third out census question like it's a thousand something questions like one of those schools used to take in, or one of those tests used to take in school and then that digital copy being created to then put like because my theory would be if we are going to advance and expand human civilization which would be easier which is the idea of like the metaverse you get to live inside of this world world but imagine if you had all these people's consciousness or brains or their imprints of their personalities and little chips and you had satellites that just floated throughout all of the universe of the solar systems whatever you want to say multiple satellites so if one gets destroyed you're still backed up on another and you're just living in this reality like right now like this could be the matrix but you're living in this you don't you still have your bodily whatever you want but your brain is really in a chip and it's in a satellite and there's millions of satellites so you can help expand out i mean would that be a sense of that i don't really see i don't go down the direction of implementing technology in yourself because i just don't think we've really fine-tuned those materials yet
0: well, yeah, I mean, I think I don't think immortality probably rests in biology, at least not at the moment. Um, there is some huge advancements, though, with stem cell technology and 3D bioprinting where we might be able to, you know, most people die from organ failure. So uh, if you can 3D bioprint a new heart, you you know, from somebody uh, and put it in that person, you'd probably save 25, 30 percent of the deaths because a lot of deaths are from cardiovascular reasons. So, you know, there are, but the problem is that doesn't stop you from aging. And it's really, as you get to 120, 130, your brain just stop stops working. I mean, or it it works, but it has a little bit of dementia, a little bit of all it it's just, it's different, you know. And like we were talking about earlier, if you wake up with the flu and you feel 20, 30% down, that's not really fully you anymore. So we're trying to achieve, you know, something that's at least 95% and up. But you know, I mean, I, I I still would take any type of, you know part of me that i could and do it but i agree with you that it'd be nice to avoid the biology the reason is that i actually think biology is is terminal in itself and biology is kind of a a frail material like if we if you were god and, and you had all the power in the world and you want to create offspring that you wanted to be sort of like you or live forever whatever um you would never create a biological entity because biology in itself like you know If right now I'm talking to you, some poisonous gas comes in the air, I die. You know, or if uh, an Arctic freeze comes, I die. Like, there's no, biology doesn't, can only live under certain circumstances. Those circumstances are very limited, whereas technology, ones and zeros, or even just robots, you know, different types of metals, can live far, under far more circumstances. So I think we would want to create ourselves in in new types of uh, entities that don't rely on biology and are much more... Uh, able to withstand various environments. I mean, right now, it seems like ones and zeros is probably the, you know, uh, silicone type stuff is the best. But at some point, we'll get into uh, quantum, you know, computing and other Dipson types of technologies. And maybe there's even like organic way of uh, telepathy and stuff like that, that that allows humans to use biology in ways we haven't understood. But right now, I'd want to get away from actual DNA and flesh. It just seems like that's part of our, Big problem. The, the, the human heart has is terminal. It's just, it's designed to beat a few billion times and it's over. I'm not, maybe more than a few billion, sorry, but it, you know, it, it has a limit. Whereas I think you could create a robotic heart where you could keep replacing parts like a car and keep that thing going for tens of thousands of years.
1: So, kind of like our waste in research and time right now of trying to discover more ancient DNA or more about our genetic coding is bad because we can just replace all that with robotic technology in a sense.
0: Well, I wouldn't say it's bad. I mean, I generally support any science and any research, just because when you, when you, you know, playing the football game, it's just not, uh, you know, one person. It's a whole team. It's a whole effort. It's all these different factors. It's even the environment, the weather, and stuff like that. So to move the ball forward, you really got to, everyone's got to pitch in. And it's hard for me to know, historically speaking, what really works best. People would have said in the past that, you know, we didn't need to do this or do that. And some of the stuff in NASA was stupid. And now 30 years later, we're using that stuff in NASA for moving other industries forward. So it's very hard to say where the science is best placed. But I think, you know, I, I, if I had a choice over money on searching for ancient DNA or searching to create new strands of DNA with technology, I would just go for searching for the new strands of technology with DNA because I think maybe it's possible to create biology, biological super people, um, and that you know my my theory on biology might not actually be accurate. Maybe there's a way to make biology much stronger than I realized. Though I still worry that we still need oxygen to breathe, that we still need we're still you know subject to weather, or we can't walk through fires. I mean, these are all things that metals and ones and zeros can do more easily.
1: Well, I spoke with Avi Loeb, where he talked about it would be our digitally cloned children that would be exploring the universe, not us. And this is kind of what sparked my interest in the whole transhumanism discussion, not even just transferring our bodies, but really when me and you talk about this, we can't really be thinking about what we want in this aspect of how we want our lives to be. We have to think of people that will be coming up after, not our chit kids that might be created in the normal aspects but kids that will be created in a new form which will be our digitally created children um if that would be artificial cloning i've heard i mean there's probably like you were just saying there's probably things about biology to make cells stronger so you don't get hurt as much but you still need the basic functions of oxygen you still need all these that are we don't have the science to figure out yet so what's easier create robots you can create robots you see it done all the time You you see that new movie with um tom hanks where he's on this planet, the sun's too hot to go outside, you have to wear a suit, he befriends a robot, because he knows he's going to die. And that robot's going to have to carry on his learnings. I mean, to train a robot to program, maybe you don't have to install your personality, but install basic features of it, you know, your funny, your jokes, um, things that kind of essentially make you you in a sense, or maybe some of your intelligence, and then hopefully they can adapt and survive and be able to form their own. I mean, AI is taking off in such a crazy direction where it's learning faster than we can. Most humans can at such an early stage where it's only going to excel from there. The only thing that they've really kind of stopped it from doing was being able to control major functions because they still feel like you need a human aspect to it. But I go, man, a lot of our problems are talking about being fixed with AI now. And if they can do that, then maybe we're putting handcuffs on it in a sense. Maybe we don't need to be them. Maybe we need to think about we're the gods creating a whole robotic race of children.
0: Well, I mean, it's nice to think that we could put all the all our, you know, little balls and marbles and stuff with AI and it'll work out. I've actually advocated for that before. Though I do, I feel like now that I've been studying about AI my last class, kind of like section of classes that are at University of Oxford was on artificial intelligence. And we, you know, heard from Nick Bostrom and some of the other, like, you know, really uh, uh, important artificial intelligence uh, researchers. And I'm not as convinced that it's going to work out in our favor. I'm also not as convinced that we really have that much control over even how it's going to, uh, you know, kind of come out. And I'm and, and not so worried so much about Terminators. I'm, I'm almost as much worried that we won't be able to figure out how to create a consciousness that smart, because it may just not be, it, it, I'm sure it's possible, it just may not be within our lifetimes. I used to think it was going to be within 20 or 30 years, so there'd be the singularities right around the corner, um, but it may not be that case. But that said, I still think, you know, given 500 years or 100, 200 years, we'll probably be able to create an AI that, you know, does outrival our conscious. ...ness and, and, and kind of our brains. But I don't know if A, it's going to have any interest in us and B, if it does, it, it, whether it'll see us in terms of any kind of empathy. It, it might just be like, see us kind of like we see ants. Maybe we, some people see ants as like an intrinsic part of the, the uh, you know, environment. But I, I, I believe probably six, seven billion people, especially those who are living in poverty and are hungry, could care less about how an ant feels. And that may be very quickly how AI starts to treat humans. And if that happens, it it may not even be callous if it ends up just pushing it aside, may not want to destroy us, may just not even pay attention to us as it goes about creating its civilization. But I have no doubts that within 10 or 20 years, the AI age will pass because it will evolve itself into something else and it probably won't stick around on planet earth. So we may have had the AI age and just had some, you know, it came and went, without us even really recognize it recognizing it because it'll probably find more planets or more resources in the solar system that are far more valuable than planet earth. I mean, the point is AI is going to create something like we talked about earlier with if you had all if you're god if you're all powerful, what would you create? How would you create yourself in order to thrive, in order to survive, in order to expand? And you know, you do so in ways that don't rely probably on materialism as far as we know it on earth. Um, maybe you'll have some basic metals or whatever, but maybe you can get even beyond that kind of stuff, get to quarks, start organizing at the most subatomic levels. So I, I wonder if the AI age, it's not even that it's going to be sort of a Terminator scenario. It might just be a very like, almost like Her, the movie Her, where the AI's just leave after a quick piece of time, which is very humbling. Because here it is this, this idea that we may have given creation to something. And then it just doesn't care about us. It doesn't mean we won't. And then maybe we'll figure out how to use AI. Like, I think the goal is to create an AI, at least in the near term, that doesn't overwhelm us, not necessarily our equal or not necessarily our superior, but something that is very useful in terms of making the lives of humans better. And you know, that's right now what robotics are, but it just every year it keeps getting better. So the question is at what point do we have to say, you know, my, my class at Oxford was all about robot rights. When do we start giving rights to robots? And uh, it's fascinating because, you know, there's all these movies out there, but the reality is starting to give rights to an entity like that, um, that will become more powerful than you, um, brings up a huge amounts of challenges. And we may just end up finding ourselves, you know, kind of lost in the dark after it just sort of either leaves us behind or just pushes us aside and says, we don't care about you. You're sort of like ants. So, I mean, those are some of my runabout thoughts on AI, but I,
1: No, they're all really good points. They're all really good points. I just, I wonder about the flip side of the coin, which is that maybe it would look at us like a sick grandparent where you want to do anything to make sure that they're not in this pain anymore or something like that. Not like fix them like, You know, like kill them or something, but help them try and make them reach that immortality to make them last. You know, if you install those nurturing aspects, I've brought that up many times in the show before. I mean, there's two sides of that terminator scenario. There's the beneficial side, which looks at us like when you see your grandparent all crunched over and their bones are cracking and they can't walk anymore. You want to make sure you would you wish you could take them back to a younger age when they could function and move and feel free again. You know, that's a crippling thing. That's why a lot of people are scared about dying as well, too, is that that lasting breath you take. But I mean, an AI that could fix our biology or fix something about us or help us reach transhumanism faster. Well, I
0: agree. I mean, that would be the ultimate goal for me. I especially think in terms of and I've written an article specifically about this, that AI could be used to Used to heal the environment. Its algorithms could figure out ways that we could use nanotechnology to replenish forests, even grow forests, You know, a hundred times quicker than they grow right now, thereby creating a much more balanced environment. Um, The problem is really that may work for a year. And then how can we say that that doesn't, once we reach some kind of level and everyone's like, you know, hooray, we did it. We, you know, we created this AI and hopefully it just takes care of us. But the problem with AI is that, Sort of like humans, we're advancing so quickly. Science is sort of on this J curve, and if AI continues expanding at that rate, once it's kind of given its consciousness, then it may very quickly decide it doesn't like us, or maybe it will just leave some AIs that are very rudimentary to it that continue to help us just because it still feels nice. I mean, I don't want—I'm not a naysayer in AI. I completely believe we should work towards developing it. Uh, I especially think it's very important that. Uh, countries with democracies develop at first, because there's a lot of global political issues at hand as well. Um, But I I just, I wonder if it's going to end up being this great savior that uh, I sort of earlier 10 years ago in my, in all my writings talked about, uh, and maybe it's going to end up being a a much more either of a non-event or of a kind of an event that just quickly comes and goes. And, uh, but again, I'm not hundred percent sure. I, have I've, you know, a lot of the writings I'm doing right now are very neutral and everything, but trying to explore the different aspects of what might happen.
1: Well, when it comes to like transhumanism, if we were going to talk about incorporating machine into a person's body and eliminating the biology function in general, you think that would be easier done, I would look at that like a higher praise thing to go after if we found some type of material from an, maybe an asteroid or something with asteroid mining you know they're finding rare materials all the time that are worth billions of dollars that aren't on earth if we found something like that that you could have a large amount for it i mean you're gonna see corporations or high elites have it first but eventually if they can replicate it and manipulate it, it's like captain America's shield things invincible people would love the shit out of that. They wouldn't care about biology anymore if they have an indestructible arm or something where they have the same form. They have like this, you can make like a cardboard cutout, I would say, of a, what your body and everything is. So you can still look like you, but you're gonna have this diamond skin basically, which is gonna be, I mean, its you can make it into machine. You could have the 3D printed heart. You could have all these things that don't have all these flaws like we have. Like how many people are born with some type of weird, disformity about their heart or something that causes them you're going to need a heart transplant at this age or something like that, you could eliminate that if you could print one out and make it exactly perfect.
0: Yeah, no, and I I would absolutely, you know, endorse all the, you know, endorse such technologies that would help people. And, uh, you know, that's sort of the goal. I think ultimately, though, you know, if we can keep AI under control, it's going to be the most important tool that we've ever created for ourselves. And I think, uh, you know, as we talk about transhumanism, it's sort of the same thing. It's the most important, in my opinion, movement we've ever created, um, maybe not de- uh, over democracy, but certainly in terms of like social movements, because I think we, you know, are transhumanist main goal is to get people to live indefinitely and empower themselves. So if you could do that with 8 billion people on planet earth, that would be a great gift instead of everyone going through this tragedy of dying or suffering or being killed in whatever accident they're going to die. in. so, I mean, if we could end up with that, then we've certainly, you know, good. That's, that's, that's a very wonderful thing. Um, the, The bigger question though, is as, you know, as we talk about how far AI plays a role in that, I think, um, maybe even a bigger role than AI might just actually be people themselves embracing technology and finding other ways to do that. I, when it comes to like putting technology in our bodies, I kind of go back to what you said earlier, which is um, it'd probably be better to try to upload ourselves, like, like the movie Transcendence and things like that. If, if we have a strategy we sort of just got to get out of the biological framework. Even if you can 3D print biohearts and make people good and keep them alive forever, you're still going to suffer a huge amount of the the, the issues that biology has, like a virus can come any day that we didn't uh, accept. I mean, obviously, a virus can come in the metaverse, too. But at least the difference in the metaverse is that a virus comes in the metaverse, you probably have a copy, a digital copy of yourself somewhere else, maybe just, you know, hidden in a hard drive or hidden on the net or something like that. Whereas we have one self in the biological world. So if we die of COVID or something, you're gone. Whereas I think, uh, you know, in, in, in the metaverse or some upload scenario, you're always going to have probably a backup of yourself, or at least most backups, sort of like your iPhone. Your iPhone can crash, but you have a backup in the cloud. So I think no matter how you look at it, it's going to be better to move away from biology when we talk about transhumanism and immortality.
1: I think the transcendence idea that I had really came from the aspect of how comfortable kids are getting with technology. Like Metaverse used to be like the weirdest thing for people to hear, and they would laugh at it and joke at. Then it became serious, and it became something that people were buying digital landscape. You could buy a house next to Snoop Dogg if you wanted. And I go, you're eventually going to have people that are going to be digitally native, and imagine how real they can get it to where you don't even know you're in a You're in the system anymore. That becomes real life. And imagine having kids in that system eventually. Because look, if you really look at it from uh, my satellite kind of analogy where we're in this little chips in a satellite, if you're in a digital landscape, building is going to be a thousand times easier than this real one that we're in. So eventually there's no point for you to leave out of it. If you can build up homes and live in that home forever, then eventually if you have kids in that digital verse, however crazy it gets next, you know, you have a family, then that's all they know. Now you've just spawned a whole generation of people where that's their world and they've never been outside of that. So now you're getting used to it and you see, but then I would only go, then it would be like a hand reaching inside of a box that reaches inside of a box that reaches inside of a box because they're always going to be on that track mindset to want to go deeper and deeper and deeper. There's this weird discovery of oneself that people have been trying to find, it doesn't just link with immortality. But I also think that's probably one of our most dangerous aspects, even with quantum biology or quantum physics, it's always trying to examine down to whatever this is, and even smaller than that. And I go, that's how you lead to your kind of end in a sense as well, too.
0: Yeah, I mean, yeah, it is funny. I mean, just about the first thing you said, you know, I have two kids and. a uh, 11-year-old daughter and eight-year-old daughter. They're so savvy with technology. Both of them were using YouTube and able to control YouTube before the age of one. So by 10 or 11 months of their life, they were able to get on YouTube and figure out how to play cartoons and know how it works. Um, Very different than myself who, you know, got my first kind of internet phone, uh, you know, I guess it was in college that I even began sending emails for the first time. So, you know, I mean, that, that You know, and even my mom's here with me and where I'm in Tahoe right now and she, you know, we went to uh, Ikea the other day and Ikea no longer like the ice cream section and the pizza section, they no longer take cash and there's nobody to, you know, at the register, you have to order it yourself on a digital screen and of course it was too much for her to figure out. She's a 76 year old. And, you know, and it's funny because my kids are already starting to figure out stuff on my iPhone. I just got a new iPhone that I didn't figure out yet. And, um, and here I'm supposed to be this computer and tech guy. Uh, So you're right. I mean, everyone, the the younger you get integrated into this, the more it becomes natural and people are going to find that completely natural when they're one with it. And they don't even know what they'll find. The other thing natural, they'll find this world that you and I live in as unnatural And, um, you know, but I guess the power to them, if that's kind of where the world is going and where technology is going, uh, like I said, uh, as long as one can stay alive in their dreams and they can pursue their dream, pursue their passions and grow as human beings. And then that's a that's a great transhuman future. I just feel that um, I'm still not sure myself if I'm ready to buy uh, uh, virtual real estate. Um,
1: It's kind of like what you were talking about biology before about getting away from that a little bit. We don't even have the anatomy really figured out yet. There's they're finding new stuff all the time. And I go, you're, This thing is still unknown. We're still on an unknown landscape, which I think eventually after a while, when you start realizing other avenues for people to go down, it's not going to be really, it's this kind of pathway. Are we going to go to transhumanism or are we going to stick down the route of biology? And I think once technology gets more definitive, just like how AI is, nobody trusted AI in the beginning now people are using it to be like yeah you can use it for the environment you can use it for uh weapons or all this type of stuff hopefully it doesn't go down the dark rabbit hole of destruction but you can look at it like it as much as it might seem 50 60 years away it's really honestly not that far i think we'll probably have fully autonomous vehicles in the next 20 years i mean there's small implementations i would say they could use trains right now they can use airplanes right now it's everything seems so far away because you haven't seen it yet but then wait till you get used to it it just it happens to do with conditioning and we're pretty good at getting conditioned i mean look in this pandemic mass became normal real quick so i go it doesn't take that long you see somebody like the cyborg guy who has the thing on the back of his head that seemed weird when everyone saw it at first but i'm like yeah but you haven't seen anything else about that though it's like the um mit did a the robot that has the human face and does like this and it's all reacting to being awake and everything like that people freaked out and it was trending with skynet i go yeah but they never showed you the progress to get there you're seeing zero to 100 imagine if they showed you every step-by-step guide eventually you wouldn't think this was that weird and people already forgot about it
0: yeah no i agree with the zero to 100 concepts very important that's why Sometimes when people hear transhumanism for the first time, they get freaked out. They're like, what do you mean live forever? Blah, blah, blah. And especially I think if people end up being like highly religious, it can conflict with those religious ideas. But then when you start talking about like, you know, transhumanism is helping war veterans who have lost a limb and we're putting on robotic arms so that person can grab a beer again or play piano or whatever, then all of a sudden transhumanism is like, oh, wow, this is great. This is fantastic. So it, it's really about your zero to hundred concept. Like, If you go too fast or if people misunderstand what's really happening, then they freak out. But, you know, they, a hundred years ago, if we said we were going to be, (laughs) you know, doing a a podcast on these kind of phones and everything's virtual and, you know, uh, you know, here we are, you can see my image, my, your image, and we're on different time zones, whatever. Everyone would have said that's witchcraft. So burn these guys at the stake. But, you know, if they see what has happened on a, day-to-day level, how many researchers went into it, the improvements, the breakthroughs, then all of a sudden it's simple. And I think hopefully transhumanism won't freak everybody out by some, because I got to be honest, big breakthroughs do freak people out, but it's really the incremental improvements that make this movement the kind that says, Oh, it's trustworthy. And we can, we can count on where it's taking us.
1: I think the biggest issue with the transhumanist movement is the fact that people really lose the original message to it, which is just about expanding human life to a point where people don't suffer people don't have all this type of stuff. I I really learned this best from David Pierce when he was explaining it to me. It's like, you don't, you don't like the way that I hear it at first. It sounds like you want to, you want a robot to be president. But at the same time, you get into this point where it's like, oh, you just want people to not have pain. You want people not to die and lose a piece of themselves. You want life to continue on. And it's really like this overall happy goal in a sense where I feel like once you, that's explained to people, if they kind of step back from their own Idea of what it is and really listen to the message, they can kind of understand it more, which is just about really overall ending suffering in a sense.
0: Yeah, no, I mean, it is all about messaging. And I, I've spent an enormous amount of time trying to, I mean, I've kind of built a bit of my public persona around being clashing with people a little bit, especially when it comes to religion versus transhumanism. But uh, uh, I've sort of stepped back to a bit more of a professional leader-like role, I suppose now, where I, I try not to do that too often. But I mean, and lead lead people through a discussion on transhumanism that where people see it's very humanitarian. It's in fact, it's the most humanitarian thing out there. We We want you and all your loved ones and all your family members and everyone you care about to live as long as they want and to live with more prosperity than they have now. I mean, it's really hard to argue with that. The problem though is like, and, I'll, you know, just for sake of discussion and getting it out in your show, we could talk about something wild like quantum archaeology, which is kind of the transhumanism has an edge too. you know, the, the, what's the frontier of transhumanism? It's probably something like quantum archaeology or technological resurrection. And quantum archaeology is this bizarre concept where you combine 3D bioprinting with the ability to reverse engineer parts of the universe. So what that means is I would take, a, you know, wherever you are now. In 10 years, we'd have the computing power. Now, there are already supercomputers out there that can do trillions of calculations per second. And pretty soon, they're going to be able to do trillions and trillions and trillions of calculations per, uh, per second. And the point of the story, though, is at some point, we might be able to reverse engineer subatomic matter, meaning that wherever you're sitting, 10 years from the point, 10 years from now, we'll be able to go back and say, okay, this is exactly how you were sitting. Now, using... 3D printing technology, which probably in 50 years, will be able to completely print out a human. We can already print out bits of hearts and things like that. We'll combine those two technologies, quantum computer, uh, the, the reverse engineering point, uh, idea and 3D bio printing, and then be able to bring you back. So if you had died in the next 10 years, we still might be able to bring you back. Now, I mean, it's, this is not a technology- Why the hell are here you here. putting that on me? No, no, of course. So this, <laughs> the, let me, this is what I'm trying to say. Transhumanism is great, but it can go really weird. So what some transhumanists are doing, almost in a cult-like way, they have dedicated organizations to bringing back every single person who has ever died on planet Earth. They feel it's not just to save people alive today. We want to bring back every single person who's died. Now, you would be able to bring these people back to maybe within a minute of their death or maybe, you know, a few hours or a couple days of their death and hopefully have the technology to cure whatever they they died from. So if it's cancer, hopefully we'd have a cure for it by then. But the point is, quantum archaeology is this mind-boggling concept where you're really trying to change the true structure. It's not just getting people today to live forever; it's getting anyone who has ever lived. Um, And you know, when you talk about David Pierce, and he has some very uh, unique ideas on animal rights and things like that. There are even transhumanists who want to try to recreate every animal, every life, every consciousness that has ever existed. So quantum archaeology is totally bizarre, and yet. There's a lot of scientists out there who believe that such technology could be possible within uh, a few hundred years. I
1: don't think it sounds crazy at all. Honestly, it sounds, I mean, from what I've learned about dark matter and all these other types of things, there's just so much that we don't understand where you could honestly, they're talking about other dimensions that you can discover. I mean, that was shocking for a lot of people. This doesn't seem that far off. I'm just curious when you're, when it's quantum computing or you're quantum printing something, how do you get it from like? that person the minute before they died wouldn't that be time travel
0: so it seems like time travel but it's actually not basically um you there's there's two choices here you know this is stephen hawking discussed this a lot either the universe is operating mechanistically like it, it's determined predetermined or determined or it's not determined there's kind of like uh you know it just happens arbitrarily and you know there are com- there are definitely different philosophical fields and some people like believe i think it's the uh one of the I forgot the principle, but a principle that says things actually happen spontaneously. But if you believe in a deterministic universe, a universe that you know two plus two equals four and all atoms and subatomic particles follow in that nature, then you could reverse it if you had enough computing power that could get to those basic elements. So, like I said, if we're if at some point in a hundred or two hundred years we're able to do trillions and trillions and trillions and trillions of, trillions of calculations. Uh, you know, per per second, or much faster than that probably, eventually, Um, at some point, you have enough calculation capacity that is actually faster um, than what, like, let's say, what the amount of atoms in the framework of where you're sitting. So if we can just take that specific amount and be able to reverse engineer, now just go backwards, it's, um, you would be able to come up with a blueprint of who you are, just as you were right now. And the question is computing power. We're not near it yet, but at some point we might be able to come up with the computing power that rivals all the sands in the sea and rivals all the calculations of it. And then once you have that blueprint, then you just 3D bioprint it out. So that, that, the, the 3D bioprinting is not going to be the difficult part. The difficult part is whether reverse engineering of subatomic matter is actually something that works. So it is different than time travel because time travel is actually kind of going back in time, whereas this is actually reverse engineering what happened. And then printing out uh, 3D bioprinting out whatever it is that once existed, because you you wouldn't be back in time. We'd have you here as you are, but you would be that exact same compilation of kind of, you know, DNA of thoughts, memories, I mean, just, everything down to your head.
1: It's cloning, but you yeah, get argue- yeah, it, w-
0: it would be it would be cloning, but it would be you precisely as you once were
1: you could do that now with me you know how many episodes i have i have over a thousand something episodes an hour to two hours i'm me on my show i'm nobody else i'm generally this is my personality so you could easily print, print out a clone of me with no that would be my mom would be able to recognize me now for most people that's not going to be the case but for a large amount of things like when you look at like our landscape for instance how many polar pictures do you see of what the ice caps used to look like and then compared to what they are now just reprint them now that you got all the pictures of what they used to look like The issue she starts to become is how do you get to their exact detail like you have to go through like if you're going to reprint jfk you have to go through his diaries all the conference calls with his wife and everything like that to really examine the man who used to be here and then get the exact replica because sometimes you might be able to print out bob ross but is his son going to recognize him or be like who is this person this isn't my dad this is he has nothing like my dad
0: yeah, yeah, no, I mean, and and, and again, I I'm no, I don't want to actually say that I'm even supporting quantum archaeology. I like it. And I idea. like it a lot. It, it's just it's kind of just a thought experiment that a lot of transhumanists have been attracted to, and some have dedicated their entire existence to not just making people live indefinitely who are alive today, but making it so that they can bring back every single person who has ever lived. And one paper I read by a PhD mathematician said that we could fit everyone who has ever lived. Their data of who they are, at least their subatomic structure, their DNA, in a nine by nine mile asteroid or nine by nine mile box. So it's not even the capacity to hold this information is actually very small given how large Earth is. So we will have this capacity to actually hold this information. It's just a question of actually getting to it. And I want to point out there are plenty of scientists who do not believe that the universe is deterministic. And even if it was deterministic, doesn't mean that. The science would be able to go backwards and do and reverse engineer. However, um, you know it's an interesting point about transhumanism that not just bringing about people alive today, but bringing back anyone who's ever died, including you know, uh, you know, some great, great, great grandmother who may have been trampled by a horse or something like that.
1: Who would you bring back?
0: Well, so I've written an article just because I, I have, <laughs> I have, I've, I felt often that religion has been one of the the core reasons that transhumanism hasn't moved forward more quickly. So I said that I would bring back Jesus Christ. And the reason is not because I'm, uh, you, you know, Pick anybody,
1: you pick that one on purpose.
0: But, and I wrote an article about this and I do it because I think one of the most important things is this is our quantum archaeology is very similar to the resurrection theory. The idea that Jesus at some point would bring back people, um, you know, who, who are good. And if you have quantum archaeology, he might even be able to bring back himself. And so, in this theory, it really merges well with Christian ideology. And yet, Christians despise this ideology because it doesn't happen the way that they believe. They want a miracle, whereas transhumanists are saying, No, we found a scientific way to do this. And uh, so, you know, this is who I have said I have done this. Um, You know, my father died recently, so maybe I wouldn't bring back Jesus anymore. Maybe I'd bring back my dad. But the point of the story is that. Uh, You know, I've often said Jesus and argued why and got a lot of discussion in Christian circles, because this type of idea mirrors very similar to how Christian theology works, uh, except, you know, instead of through science, it's done through miracles.
1: You would have better luck if you just said you would bring back Mary or something like the Virgin Mary. Of course, of course.
0: I mean, there's a lot of fun
1: people. A lot of people say, hey, I'd bring
0: back Hitler so I could kill him right away or something like that. And or imprison him, you know. I've heard that from Jewish people, um, you know. And 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 that's you know. Some people want to bring back people they hate. Other want to, people who want to bring back people they they love. And some want to bring back world leaders and uh, Gandhi and you know so stuff. You know, but I guess everybody has a different one. And again, you know, a lot of this is still in thought experiment, uh, you know, mode. Because a lot of the science is not even really close to there. I mean, maybe in 50 to 70 years, they're already starting to try to reverse engineer tiny parts of the universe, trying to control atoms. They're doing a little bit of teleportation. This is all part of the same kind of science. Um, But, you know, we're so far away from even being able to do uh, something on the tip of of a pin, let alone, you know, something that is as complex as a human being.
1: Do you think we would just need to understand more about metaphysics? Like how many people are interested in the concept of metaphysics, or does that just seem like a? Because I mean, to say biology wouldn't be a fringe theory if we went in this direction. Eventually, it would just be phased out. Because honestly, it doesn't sound that crazy. I mean, I, I if there's a better route to get to whatever everlasting life, if that's transhumanism, then go that in that direction. It's just about which one's more of an avenue for people to want to pursue. And from all we know, and from what has been the prominent thing when we talk about religion being at the forefront. That has been it. You know, there hasn't been anything that they've wanted to branch outside of what has been written in the Bible or what has been said by God, in a sense. And I think with the amount of people that are becoming non-religious now, we have like forty-seven percent, I think, in the states that are religious, or in the world's population. And then there's other religions that fall in there as well too. I think eventually you'll see that shift happen. Um, it's just really about which is more plausible. Future generations are gonna want to technology age i don't think it's going to be in our lifetime i think it's going to be up to the future generations that are just going to be digitally native to this aspect that are going to be the ones that really fully pursue it
0: yeah i mean look i'm i'm you know not an anti-religious person but i think religion has done a lot of harm so i love it that there is a growing population of of younger people that are embracing either spirituality but not formal religion i'm People want to embrace spirituality? That's fine with me. I think there's a lot of great uh, spirituality ideas in transhumanism. I just think it's when it comes down to formal religion, like you said, people write laws and then they can't be broken. That's not for transhumanists. Transhumanism is growing too quickly. Uh, we don't know what the laws are going to be for us once we merge our minds with AI. It might be a whole different set of rights, a whole different set of a whole different civil rights era once we ha- start having robots that want to vote and things like that. So we have to be malleable. We have to be able to turn and change a little. So I'm I'm very skeptical of people saying eternal promises. I can say the only real thing right now is that um, maybe the only eternal truth I know of is that I think it's better to not die. Um, than to to die because I like life. And that's, maybe maybe that's wrong too in some ways, but, you know, so hopefully we'll be able to kind of come to an era where people are more scientific minded and that's the age, you know, almost the Star Trek age where, you know, the civilization is sort of based on science and
1: that's a core part of everyone's cultural persona. Would the leading forefront in this be nanoscience?
0: Quite possibly. I mean, I think nanoscience is really, the field where everything ends up, eventually, I mean, it, things just keep getting smaller. And I think that's been one of the the challenges with, with a lot of the sciences, <laughs> is that, uh, as we start talking, you know, even environmentalism, for example, I, I've advocated, say, uh, for forever, that, you know, the way to fix the environment is not to with stop our, our carbon footprint, it's to come up with better technologies, specifically nanotechnologies, where we can recreate the, t- the things we've destroyed, because it's very hard to get, country like China to stop developing or lessen their carbon footprint. But it's going to be really easy to regrow forests at 100 times the speed in 30 years once we unlock that type of technology. And then we have what we sort of destroyed at the beginning. It, don't get me wrong, it's not a beautiful scenario. I'm not saying this is humans are good for this. But from a practical point of view, the best thing to do is to use nanotechnologies to change deserts, into thriving, you know, jungles with life and things like that. So uh, nanotechnology probably will go everywhere. And I got to say, in terms of philosophy, I'm studying at Oxford, it's it's really essential because I just did, you know, a story on disability. Uh, And the reality is that the field of disability is entirely changing because we're starting to overcome a lot of disabilities through medicine and science. Uh, If you're deaf, you know, you have technologies to make you so you can hear. And the the reality is that everyone pretty much on planet earth has access to that technology, maybe not the super poor in Africa or something like that, but any most, even most developing countries have access now. So if you choose not to use cochlear implants, you choose not to use technology to help your deafness. It's a personal choice you've made. And the point is like, when we were growing up, we didn't realize that deafness would be conquered. The same thing's happening with blindness. There's a couple uh, different robotic eyes out there, and eventually it's going to come to the point when nobody's blind unless they choose to be blind. And these are, um, you know, these are all happening because of, different types of technologies that are based on the computer chip, which of course is based on nanotechnology. So as long as that keeps improving, the world's going to keep improving. And, uh, you know, everything from medicine to health is going to get better and better. But everything does get smaller. That's the, the nature of the microprocessor, faster and smaller.
1: Do you think that with a lot of this information we've already discovered, like learning about the cell, learning about our organs, learning about all this, is just going to make it easier to transfer over that to technology? Like if you can have cells that are robotic cells, for instance, if you can recreate what a cell does, its processes, maybe even it dividing to a sense, if we had that material to be able to do so, can't you just create people that have like an artificial skin to where it wouldn't age? It could just kind of keep you at whatever kind of pace that you're at. I mean, it brings up ethical issues, but.
0: We, we could. And, and, you know, and I've talked about this before that, you know,
1: we will have artificial skins.
0: And that brings up the whole question of color. And you maybe people will change their color every single day or every hour. You know, I mean, the same thing with gender. I mean, people will be able to, at some point with nanotechnology, change their den- genders just as well, maybe not as quickly, but within days. You know, just by taking a pill or by having surgeries and going back and forth. But just like the metaverse, you know, so I, when I was pr- campaigning for the president in 2016, I gave a couple uh, speeches in Second Life. And, uh, you know, it's amazing. Like, th- this is what your identity is. You have a, maybe you're a robot or maybe you're like a, a half monster. Maybe you're a human being or maybe you're a different gender person. Whatever it is, there, there were people across the, the auditorium that were listening. and And as I was speaking, people are changing their identity. And I, I do believe we're going to come to a point in biology when we'll be able to do that just as, as, uh, as efficiently. The question is whether people really will want to, whether that'll, whether people will even hold to biology once you can do that in the virtual worlds, and you're more satisfied in the virtual world, it's probably going to be a lot more inexpensive to live in the virtual world than it is to change your biological nature, uh, which I still think is going to be very expensive. So there's probably, well, that might be possible, I just don't know if it's really going to be uh, something you do too often, given the 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 you know. Also, changing biology definitely changes hormones, feelings, can sometimes be very painful. So I think you know, I, I I imagine a future where that could happen, but may not be what most people do, just because it's a little complex to do when other things are out there like the metaverse that are so much easier to do.
1: Yeah, um, it's very interesting. You got me thinking about the quantum fucking recreate and stuff again i don't even care about bringing back people i just look at like what we could do landscape wise like you know how much we could we could literally find empty spots of space if we got to a point and be able to recreate certain parts of space um at least create a new atmosphere not even an atmosphere create our own planet that's so uniquely uh in eden i would say that's not possible, yeah I'm, maybe i mean i think you know when
0: transhumanists what a thing about transhumanism is they want to get off planet as soon as possible. And I do, too. Um, I, I think uh, the great thing about transhumanism is it's not just about living forever. It's actually about living forever off world, exploring the universe. You know, we're, we want to be the people that sail to the Americas, you know. And, um, and I think if you had I had a chance, especially now with my family, to go off and explore in a kind of Star Trek scenario, I would leave immediately. How exciting and adventurous would that be to see brand new worlds and do something totally different? And so I think, um, you know, if you could do that, that'd be fantastic. And if you can't do that, you can also create brand new worlds and they're starting to do this already. I mean, there are, yeah, I mean, even when you just go to like uh, Los Angeles or maybe New York, wherever you live, but you know, like some of the malls are almost like these crazy creations and Disneyland, stuff like that. I think we're gonna get to a point when there's gonna be a good mix of virtual and physical environments where you can kind of go into both and have both, you know, maybe you'll have a nice home on the ocean, But you put on a headset or you walk through even a virtual thing that puts on headsets for you. And then it's virtual, you know, I mean, there could be a whole wide range of things that are happening. Um, You just hear the next 10, 20 years where we create all these different environments that we want to exist in for a lot longer, even adults, not necessarily just kids who, you know, and when I say kids, I mean, people under 30. But even people like myself, kind of you know, forty-year-olds, fifty-year-olds who want to say, "Oh, the virtual environment's
1: way better." Do you support crytology at all? Uh, what the, is the crytology? With, with the freezing?
0: Oh yeah yeah yeah. There, there, there's a lot of different names. Cryonics. Uh, I, I do, and I would do it. If I knew I was going to die in the next 10 minutes, I'd say, hey, I got to go. Uh, I'm going to go put myself in the freezer and and then hope somebody would come get me and put me in the right type of uh, uh, f- uh, frozen system, freezing system. Uh, they're called doers. Uh, so, yeah, I do support cryonics, but I hope that we could come up with a solution before I have to make the choice to go into one as I die. I do believe, though, that those people who are frozen have a very good shot of being brought back to life 100, 200 years when other technologies are here to improve Uh, and and to save what they died from
1: now let's fast forward to where we have this transhumanism technology like you want um do you think people will be accepting to it do you think that more people would take the option than not or do you think people would still be hesitant unless they're pushed to that point just like with cryonics jumping into that thing you would hope that you would have more time than just like 10 minutes or so to make a decision on something like that but if it is like push come to shove do you think people would be willing to accept transhumanism or do you think a lot of people would just kind of stay ignorant in their beliefs of just dying as this biological form
0: um i think most people stay uh ignorant you know um and uh that's because you know cryonics has so few subscribers like a thousand people have been frozen uh, over their life, over, you know, 8 billion people or however many people, you know, have died since cryonics has been out. Uh, I don't know, hundreds of millions have died. and Very few uh, have, like, such a minuscule amount have actually wanted to be frozen. So I think most people don't care. I also think most people are religious and they think, you know, uh, especially as you get older, I think one thing about the dying process is that people aren't usually aren't really who they are. Like, they're, they're not fully, they're not fully who they think they are. Um, and, and so I think they, uh, they sorry, there's a knock at the door. Uh, I, I think people, w- when they kind of come to this point of um, dying, they become somebody very, very different. And maybe that's been the problem with cryonics so far. Why some people say, a lot of people say they're going to do it, but then they don't end up doing it. And that has been um, a kind of a big challenge, I think, at this
1: point. Well, it's been a pleasure chatting with you, Zoltan. Um, you gave me enough of your time too, man. But uh is there a place where people can find any of your links?
0: Yes, and sorry about that. There's somebody came. Um my links can be found at my website, Zoltanishvan.com. Um, I think uh I haven't released any of my essays from the University of Oxford, but I'm really excited about it because they are some of the more innovative thinking that I've been doing recently. Um, the best way to discover my work though is just to Google it because what happened is uh from about 2013 to 2018 um i wrote about 225 essays most of them are featured in the zoltan Ishvan futurist collection a, a seven book box set but you know you can google all they're all done in major media so you can also just find the articles for free um, online and that's really the best way so if you have a topic that you're interested in, like quantum archaeology just type my name in quantum archaeology and you'll be led to my newsweek article or if you're interested in i wrote recently about artificial wombs uh, for the new york times if you're interested in artificial wombs Type my name in artificial wombs and you'll get the uh, New York Times article. So, any topic that your listeners are interested in, just Google my name and that topic and you'll come up because I've written so many articles now um, that they'll uh, hopefully, you know, you'll hopefully have some good reading for yourselves. And, other than that, thank you so much for having me on your show.
1: Thanks for listening to this episode of Out of the Blank. Stay tuned for our next episode.